today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If you knew that tomorrow would be the end and that Jesus was coming for sure tomorrow, what would you do? Martin Luther responded, I would plant a tree and pay my taxes. Kind of a curious response until you think about the fact that what he's saying is, I would continue living my life just the way that I'm living it now, living it for his honor and for his glory, so that when the master comes, he's going to find me busy about his kingdom's work. And I believe that that's true in our life, that we need to maintain that focus and that attitude, that we keep busy doing the kingdom's work until he comes. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, how would you spend your last day on earth? Would you live very differently to prepare? Or would you continue on with life as normal because you were already ready to meet the King of Kings? In today's message, Pastor David encourages us to remember that the Lord's second coming is imminent. We want to be Christians who are wise with their time so that when we do finally meet Jesus face to face, we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's Pastor David with part one of his message, A Lifestyle for the Last Days, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. These are the words of a poem by C.T. Studd, an evangelist of years gone by. The impact of those words is very powerful and true, and it's a rather lengthy poem, and we're not going to take the time this morning to read it all, but there's a couple of the verses of that poem I want to give as my means of introduction to our study this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4. C.T. writes, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days that I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I believe that every one of us as believers... Every one of us has a purpose in this life. I believe that God designed and gave each one of us birth for a particular purpose in that life. Our task in life then is to find out, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? What is my purpose in this life? 
One thing we do know that our primary purpose for all of us is to know God and to give him glory in all of our lives, to know him and to be known by him. And beloved, to be known by him is the most important thing that any of us could ever do. Peter writes to the church here in First Peter, and he writes to a church very similar to the churches that we spoke about this morning, churches that were undergoing a, a severe amount of persecution, churches that were scattered all over the area, and much of what Peter writes, he writes to them in that whole idea and concept of as, as, as persecuted believers, this is how you need to live. But this morning, I believe that the passage that we're looking at today is not only important for persecuted churches, but it's, a, it's important for you and I just as believers in general. We look at First Peter chapter 4, beginning back in verse 7, and I know we spent all week last week looking at verse 7, and so we're not going to stay there very long, but using it again as kind of the catapult to get us into verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. Start with me, if you would, in First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter writes, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. In verse 8, he says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. And then he throws in that little deal without grumbling, but we'll look at that in a moment. Verse 10, he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. What does he say? Amen. And you would think that he would be done by then, huh? No, he's got a couple more chapters to go. I think he could have stopped right there and it would have still been a powerful book, but there's more things that God wants to speak to the church through the writings of Peter in this book. Looking back at that verse 7, and again, we spent a lot of time last week, but again, it speaks about the fact that the end of all things is at hand. So be serious and watchful in your prayers. The early church lived with that continual expectancy. That expectancy that the Lord Jesus would come back at any day. And throughout the New Testament, we also are directed in our lives to live our lives with that expectation. That Jesus could come at, at any moment. And I shared with you how intense that time was for me personally back in the 70s. And then the 80s came in the 90s and the 2000s. And Jesus hadn't come back yet. But the question is, is do we still live with that expectation? Do we still live with that understanding of the imminence of his return? That's why Peter says he's going to come soon. That's why you need to be serious. You need to be watchful in your prayers. And I believe not only in your prayers, but also with all of our lives. And on that point, I want to be really quick to, to, to again speak about the fact that there's, through the years, there's been a lot of religious groups that speak about the soon return of Christ. Many of them have pulled together dates or times and seasons. Some of them have even said, sell all that you have and come and join us here 
as we wait for the Lord's return. I'm not real privy to all the information, but I wonder what they had them do with all the money from everything that they sold. I think it probably kind of went to the headquarters of whatever group that that was. No, I'm not telling you to sell all your things, okay? I'm not telling you to, 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 to come and wait for his return. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks against that many, many places. The Bible actually speaks about the fact that you and I, even with the understanding that Jesus could come any day, that we need to occupy until he returns. The Bible speaks about that we should keep working in that field, that we should keep doing the work of the kingdom that he's called us to do. We need to continue to be the light of the world until Jesus comes. Someone asked Martin Luther, the the great reformer, if you knew that tomorrow would be the end and that Jesus was coming for sure tomorrow, what would you do? Martin Luther responded, I would plant a tree and pay my taxes. Kind of a curious response until you think about the fact that what he's saying is, I would continue living my life just the way that I'm living it now, living it for his honor and for his glory, so that when the master comes, he's going to find me busy about his kingdom's work. And I believe that that's true in our life, that we need to maintain that focus and that attitude that we keep busy doing the kingdom's work until he comes. And I believe, again, this thought of Peter as he directs the believers that we need to be that kind of people regardless of the situation we find in our lives. Peter, with that, then goes on to say, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Interesting, isn't it, that, that, that Peter would place at the very highest of our needs this idea that we need to have love for each other. He says, above all things, you need to have that kind of love. And most of us understand that that love that he uses there comes from that Greek word agape or agapeo. And that's the kind of love that's self-sacrificing. It's unconditional. It's the kind of love that gives without regard of love in return. It's a full, it's a complete action type of love. Not love from a distance, but love that gets involved and love that, that again, becomes involved in the lives of those that are around them with compassion and with care. It's the kind of love that actually God has, isn't it? And it's the kind of love, it's a divine love that you and I would have great difficulty having were it not that God can do that within our lives when we give our lives to him. Then through the help of the Spirit, we can have that kind of agapeo or full, complete, unconditional, compassionate, caring love. But Peter says, not only having love, but he says a particular type of love, doesn't he? He says, have a fervent love for one another. And various versions, depending upon the translation that you have here this morning. Now, my new King James and your King James version will say, have fervent love. The New American Standard says, keep fervent in your love. The New Revised Standard version says, maintain constant love. The NIV states, love each other deeply. And the English Standard Version puts it this way. Keep loving one another earnestly. 
That word that's translated fervent there, or constant or earnest, depending upon your translation. Again, it comes from another Greek word, ektene. Ektene is, is used in secular writing, in speaking about like, like an athlete, particularly when you think of a, and bear this in mind, a sprinter that is coming right to the finish line, and it's a very, very tight race, and the sprinter is just straining with all that he has, every muscle tense, every muscle involved in order to be the one that finishes through that finish line, through that ribbon first. Everything strained. He says, that's the kind of love totally involved that we're supposed to have with one another. I could ask you a question right now, and for some it might be embarrassing. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? For those of you that have been part of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, have you felt that kind of love from this fellowship? Have you really felt that kind of love from brothers and sisters in Christ as you've become a part of this fellowship? That should tell a whole lot about where we are and where we yet need to go as a body of believers. But that also now brings me to the second question. And this one is more probing. Have you demonstrated that kind of love to those that are around you? That fervent, that all-in, compassion, caring, unconditional love for one another. We look at this and we think, Lord... How can I even begin to do that? And you can't do that on your own, okay? I'll be the first to agree with you. You can't do that on your own. It's only by the work of God's Holy Spirit working and moving in you. Because as I look around here this morning, there's a lot of us that aren't real lovable, okay? And there's a lot of us that have been perhaps hurt in the past by that kind of love, by giving that kind of love. And then as we've opened ourselves up, others who also claim the name of Christ, perhaps they were the very ones that either opened up a wound or threw salt on an old wound. So, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. And it can only be done through the work and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why it's so important for you and I to be watchful, to be careful, And be serious in our prayers in order that we might really and truly be the kind of men and women and young people that God has called for us to be. The kind that can actually have a fervent love for each other. He says, because love covers a multitude of sin. Well, whose sin? The sin of the one that you're loving or your sin as you try to love and fail so many times. I think primarily it's the one that you're trying to love, but I believe that it could also, the finger could point back your way or my way as we fail in what we're supposed to be doing. But to cover a multitude of sins in my love for you, my, my care, my concern, if I'm really and truly compassionate for you, if I really and truly have that true agape love for you, that when you fail me, I don't cut you off. I don't put up the hand and say, hey, just speak to the hand. I don't don't want to have anything else to do with you. You've failed me. 
if we have the kind of love that God calls for us to have, the kind of love that only he can give us through the work of his spirit, then we have to be those that even, yes, even when we're wronged, even when people fail us, that we can have an unconditional love for them. I believe that that's the kind of love God gave to us, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've failed God multiple times. Multiple times. And yet his love continues to reach out. His love continues to reach through the garbage and the failings of my life and says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And he says, now, love one another. And not only love one another, but have a fervent love for one another. That means that you are being stretched. But that also means that you are stretching out and how and where you can love. Oh, by the way, when you do that, don't get a martyr's complex, okay? Well, you know, I'm loving so-and-so. They've just done me wrong so many times, but I'm going to love them in Jesus' name. Suddenly that means that the love isn't really there, isn't it? I don't know who you're trying to impress. Them, yourself, or God. Number one, I know you're not impressing God. Now, no, you're probably not impressing them because your love isn't real. It's only when we have that right kind of heart, that right kind of love for one another, that we can actually move into verse 9 where it says, be hospitable to one another. Why did he have to say without grumbling, though? That, that kind of comes back to that same thing about the martyrs complex. Well, yes, I'll help you. That's my Saturday, man. It's like the only Saturday I get this week and I've got to go and, and, and help out over here. Aren't you glad we don't do that, right? Because after all, we're Christians. We, we, we do that probably on, on a much more wider basis than we will even admit to the Lord. Because many times in our hospitality to one another, we may not say it, but we like process a whole lot of it, don't we? How can I do that without grumbling? Only if I have fervent love one for another. And how can I have fervent love one for another unless I'm truly allowing the Spirit of God to equip and empower me in daily life? And the only way that that happens is when I die daily. And then it's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That's the only way that I can do this. Because I know every time my old body knocks the lid off the coffin, crawls back out, and starts taking over things, then the fervency of love isn't there. And the grumbling is. It's not until I, again, realize, no, I need to die daily. I need to reckon myself dead in order that he, through me, might not only be glorified, but do that work in me that he desires. That word hospitality or hospitable, it's not just being friendly to strangers. It's opening up our hearts. It's opening up our lives to one another. Living life together, as some have said. 
And yeah, that gets us out of our comfort zone really quick. Gets us out of my own plans and my own purposes really quick. Suddenly I become available. I become available for God to use me in your life and in your life. And for God to use you in my life and in their life. And that's what God's called for us to be. To be a people in common union, in communion with each other. Even as that first century church that, man, nobody figured anything was their own. They just, man, you, you have a need. Let me help you with that need. Is there an area in your life that I can encourage you with? I'm going to take out of my time to come and walk a few miles with you on your journey. I want to live life together with you in order that Christ might be honored through it all. Peter speaks next in verse 10 and 11 about using those spiritual gifts that we receive from the Lord. And again, you need to realize that the spiritual gifts that are given aren't in order to speak of some great spiritual uh, 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 height that I've gained. It's not a spiritual greatness that I have because I've been gifted in one area or another. No, it's it's not to in order to I have this spiritual gift. Hey, look at me. Look at me as I exercise this gift among the body of believers. Beloved, that's exactly opposite of what the word speaks. The word speaks that these gifts are given to minister to the body of believers, not to exalt anyone at all. Peter says here in verse 10, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot of directions I could go just with this small little portion of the, the, the scripture this morning, but you don't have that much time this morning. Primarily, what I want you to know, what I want you to understand that, again, these spiritual gifts that he speaks about here are the variety of gifts that have been given to the church useful in the kingdom's work, these spiritual gifts spoken throughout the New Testament, a variety of gifts, and it's such that none of us ever has to be what we're not called to be. You don't need to be what you're not called to be. But you know what? As God has gifted you, you ought to be what you are called and equipped to be. In other words, a responsibility comes upon you. And yeah, I believe even others as they look and see in your life, particular giftedness. So you know what? As, as, I, as, I, as we've lived life together, I see God uses you really powerfully in this area. Have you ever thought about that?
Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.